welcome to the Seeing Deep podcast, where we see deep in a shallow world by exploring our surrounding culture through a biblical lens. We've been talking about happiness this month, not the temporary happiness that changes with circumstances, but the abiding joy that we have as part of our inheritance in the family of God. Here with me this week is author Katie Orr. Katie is passionate about helping women enjoy God daily. As a conference speaker, prolific author, and online Bible coach, she provides biblical teaching and relevant resources to help women jumpstart their journey toward walking with Jesus. Katie and her pastor husband have three children and serve together in the local church. Welcome to the show, Katie. Hi, Denise. I'm glad to be here. Well, I am so glad to have you here. I noticed in your biography that your alma mater is Auburn University. It's also Mm -hmm. my husband's. All right. Well, War Eagle. (laughs) Uh, Roll Tide is what I used to hear. (laughs) Now, which one is it? Because I know Alabama, so this is going to display my ignorance here. Because whenever there is a football game with Alabama and Auburn, so we are not like people who watch TV much, nor do we Uh watch football, but that is the one game that goes on every year. And I get confused because I don't know much about it. So Roll Tide is Auburn as well. Roll Tide is uh, Alabama, University of Alabama. So (laughs) War Eagle is Auburn. (laughs) Well, it's all confusing and it makes no sense and it's tradition and it's just one of those crazy things. But yes, War War Eagle is Auburn's battle cry. Okay. Well, then I have to repent to my husband like, (laughs) Just tell him not to listen to this episode and you'll be okay. Well, Katie, I love your perspective on happiness and appreciate that you did not differentiate between happiness and joy. I know that, uh, at least from what I was reading in your book, there's so many different thoughts out there on this. And I think sometimes we can try to make something more of different terminology than there really is. Uh, And I think there can be this false guilt for desiring to be happy. And while we do not want to make an idol of happiness, and I would say that happiness comes not from the pursuit of happiness, but the pursuit of God. He is our source of joy. So the scripture for this episode is taken from Psalms 1, verses 1 and 2, and this is a CSB translation. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. These verses reveal that bad company and sin steal our joy. And meditating and delighting in God's word are where we find this happiness that sometimes eludes us. Katie, there's a void within us all that we can feel in our souls that leads us to try and fill it and fill that void. Why do you think we so often try to pursue happiness in places that it really cannot be found? We were created to delight. We were created to enjoy things. Think about the mm. fact that we have taste buds. We don't need our taste buds to survive, right? We could eat food without the taste buds and still survive. Mm. Uh, we, you know, just so many things from the emote, the, the this joy that we're talking about, the, the, the amazing feeling that we have when we're loved by somebody. Yesterday, we just celebrated my youngest 10th birthday. And I mean, he was just soaking it up. You could see it. He was created to receive the pleasure of, of being loved. But 
So, so all that to say, it's not that the pursuit itself is the longing to be happy or the longing to have pleasure is wrong. It's what you said, where we find that pleasure, that's where we get it wrong a lot. And so I think we need to start with remembering that the pursuit of it is good. It is how God created us to be. Adam and Eve were completely delighted. They were 100% happy. They enjoyed every pleasure until sin came into the world and broke the connection to the source of that pleasure. Mm. And that is with our relationship with God. And so we get that in glimpses. We, we, as we walk with God, we, we get those glimpses of the pleasure, but ultimately every good and perfect gift is from the Lord. Every, every amount or type of pleasure that we can experience is ultimately from God and it's for his glory. And so uh, again, I think we, we tend to go, Oh, I'm not supposed to be happy. I, I shouldn't be doing this. Da, 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 da. No, it's good to pursue, pursue pleasure. It's good to pursue delight, but to, to pursue it ultimately in God and his plan for us. Yes. You know, something uh, God has me writing about this year is mindsets. And, you know, as you're talking there, I'm just thinking about the fact that our mindset is often so geared humanistically to Mm -hmm. what brings us joy on this earth. And it's not geared toward his glory. Uh, it's it's for our glory so often. And you mentioned in your book that it is not a change of mindset or circumstances that produce joy. You mentioned three things on which happiness is formed. Can you share on those? Yeah, it, well, it's it really first starts with the work of God. We can never be happy on this earth or for eternity without a work of God in our lives. It is Jesus is the door of the sheep. He is the way, the truth, the life. And so without this work of God on our behalf, in order to fix our sin problem, there is no hope. Mm. But as we recognize that our only hope is Jesus, and as we take him as the way, the truth, and life, as we walk through the door of salvation, then that's that next part. That second part is the work of faith. We have to say that that is, it's not just an intellectual knowing, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, but we have to basically throw ourselves at his mercy, throw ourselves, our, our whole everything has to be understanding that he is our only hope. The, the mm-hmm. sacrifice of Christ is the only hope I have for eternity with God and therefore any sort of pleasure, happiness, delight, gladness, however you want to call it, joy. So it's a work of God first, then it's a work of faith on our behalf, but then it takes a working out. Philippians 2 talks about that we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. The moment we become saved, there's some amazing things that happen to us eternally and positionally for forever. Those things are true of us. We're now a child of God, but we have work to do to, to make those new internal truths these foundational truths of who we are in Christ now, we have work to do to unpack that, to to make them external realities. We moved a couple years ago from Kentucky to Florida, and there was a moment, there was a day where we were officially moved. 
all the boxes were in our house and we officially lived in Florida, but we still had much work to do to actually move here, right? We need to find the, the forks and the spoons because they're useless in the box. So we had to put pictures up on the walls and make this our home. And so in some ways we're still moving because I do believe we have three or four boxes still that need to be probably just thrown out because at this point, so we're, it's the same way, spiritually speaking, we've been, we've, we've moved, we, we have a new address, we have a new identity in Christ, Mm. but we still have so much work to do to unpack the gifts that he's given us. Amen. You know, as you were speaking there too, I was thinking about uh, hope has been something that I have also written a lot about. And when I hear about this hope in God, you know, I think a lot of times we don't realize to find that hope, we've got to let go of the hope that we're holding on to. We're often holding on to this temporal hope that just can't give us that joy that hoping in God can. And I think we just aren't convinced in our minds of that sometimes, you know. Um, you mentioned uh, in your book, John Piper, he also inspired me many years ago with one of his teachings on hoping in the superior pleasure we have in Christ. The greatest joy we have is yet to come. But I think the reality of pain or other circumstances can be a stumbling block that prevents us from hoping in that secure joy we have in Christ. Do you have any advice to help people overcome the joy killers in their lives so they can place their hope in the hope and joy that is to come? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we need to recognize that so much that is, that goes on around us, these joy killers, it's a result of the fall. It is a natural result of sin in our own lives and the lives of others. And there is injustice. There is, uh, there's pain, there's loss. Uh, because of sin. And then, then you know, just the, the natural decaying of our bodies. Every one of us has a time that we will leave this earth. And so all these joy killers, they're ultimately a, a result of the fall. Uh, but we can allow them to attack our view of God or to drive us to God. And when things are not going my way, <laughs> it's usually, you know, if I'm paying attention in my head, it's like, why did God let this happen? Why are you doing this, God? I don't understand. Why can't it be this way? This is the way I want it. You know, like that's my monologue going on and on and on. Mm. And and so I, I have to pay attention to what is that joy killer? <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be a joy killer, but what is it? what is it driving me to? Is it, is it driving a wedge between me and, and, and God, or is it driving me to God? Um, really mm. hopelessness is forgetfulness. If we are in Christ, if we are Christian, we have every reason to hope. Even when everything in this physical world falls apart, we still have hope because the Bible says it again and again and again, that not only do we have a hope for things here on this earth, but we have so much hope for what's to come in eternity with God. And so when we give into hopelessness, it is because we are being forgetful of who God is. He's powerful. He's in control. He can rescue from anything. And, and ultimately he will win. And then we will spend eternity with him. And so that's what it is for me. It's this constant mind battle of remembering mm. who God is, what he's promised me now and 
for the future. Amen. You know, and I just, when you say that, he wins. We already know the end, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think we can just, like, we think about being at a game and rooting on our team, you know, and we don't even know who's going to win, but it's just that thought that we might win, but we mm-hmm. already know we win. And I'm thinking, yeah. can we just stay in that place? And it's so hard because there is that erosion that sin causes. And, um, it's just really coming back to the basics. Sin separates us from God. Mm-hmm. God is our joy. You know, let's get rid of the sin. Um, you mentioned a semantic drift where the true meaning of happiness is lost over time. Can you explain that? Yeah. And, and specifically, I'm talking about the English word happiness. Um, in fact, there is a, a quote from John Piper, actually, that says, if you're looking for I'm totally butchering this quote. I'm the worst at redoing. So don't, this is not word for word, (laughs) but basically if you're looking for some sort of biblical distinction between joy and happiness, it's not there. It's not there. They're kind of all lumped together, joy, delight, happiness, on and on. But the English word, the English word, not the biblical teaching, the English word happiness has drifted over time. And it's fascinating to to look at this, actually. There's so many, so many words that used to mean something completely different, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago. Happiness is one that has, is not totally changed in meaning, but it has been diluted in meaning. And it's been almost hyper-focused into, for our culture, into this fleeting emotion of feeling happy. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's it's interesting that we have I feel like we have exiled the word happiness from our Christian vocabulary. Like that is not something we're allowed to say. We're not allowed to say I'm happy because if I say, man, I'm really feeling right happy right now, there's this feeling of, well, you must be in, you know, given in idols. <laughs> you must not be finding your joy in Christ. And it's like, no, I'm just happy. And that is a gift from Lord right now to to feel that pleasure of happiness. Mm. We can absolutely feel happiness from being with God. And it's interesting because as we look back on, and this is proof that this English word has drifted, C.S. Lewis, Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, A.W. Tozer, St. Augustine, the Puritans, Matthew Henry, they all use the word happiness in their relationship with God. You know, things like, Christians ought to be the happiest people on the earth. Hmm. I mean, there's just so many. Go- it's fascinating because I have I have taught this. I have said, oh, we don't do don't do happiness, but joy is okay. Find your joy in the Lord, but not your happiness in the Lord. <laughs> yeah. I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's just our reality. And so the book is definitely, you know, it's not all about trying to redeem the word happiness, but I think there's this underlying current of I'm not allowed to be happy. God doesn't want me to be happy. And that's dangerous because it's not true. God does want us to be happy. He wants us to delight. He wants us to be full of joy. You know, that, that we've probably all heard, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, disagree. I, I think that, that, that one, that's not in the Bible. That right. is not in the Bible. It's not a biblical teaching. And I'm sure that the, where it originated in the context of what they were teaching on it, it, it made sense. But we've, hold, we've held on to these little sticky statements. Yes. And we're building our theology around this statement that's just not true. Yes, God wants us to be happy and he wants me to be holy. I think they are two sides of the same coin. When we are happy and flourishing, it's when we are holy. And when we are holy, we are happy. 
Amen. Well, you know, I think a lot of times the word happiness has been given this almost shallow interpretation. You're shallow if you're just happy, but joy, now that's the stuff, you know. (laughs) But I, I do think too that a lot of times when people are pursuing happiness, it'll be elusive, but but also people might be afraid to be happy because there's this idolatry. You know, we we yeah. we don't want to lose that happiness. You know, we're afraid mm-hmm. when is the other shoe going to drop? And it's not happiness that is really our end goal, right? It's right. it's right. knowing God, but I think that's where we get confused and where happiness might get some of its um bad, bad press. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're right. It is because it's our world. I mean, you can see it on, we were watching the, uh, the rolls of Corfu, I think it's called. And it was just a sweet, sweet show. And she's constantly saying, I just want you kids to be happy. I just want you kids yeah. to be happy. Almost every episode. It's like, cause that's, that's, that's the storyline that this mom mm-hmm wants to to do everything. She sacrifices her time and her, I mean, she cooks and she cleans and she does all the stuff and she just wants them to be happy. And I think every mom resonates with that. Oh yeah. (laughs) But if that becomes our end goal, like you're saying, that's an idol. If, If my end goal, if my identity, if who I am is only wrapped up in my kids being happy, then we have a problem. (laughs) <laughs> or it Definitely. could be chasing my own happiness. If I, if my end goal in today is to be as happy as possible, then that is a wrong pursuit. But yeah. let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> we can experience a, a, an amazing happiness when we see our when my kids pull out their Bible and go sit in the corner in the morning. I'm like, mm. oh my gosh, that makes me happy. It does. Amen. That makes me happy to see them desire to open their Bible. And the converse is true. When I when I make bad choices, when I see them make bad choices, it grieves me. It makes me unhappy. Mm. And so absolutely what you're saying, it's not about when it's the end goal, that's when we're in, we're in trouble. But when we are seeking God and following his ways, one of the byproducts of that is this peace, this delight, this joy, this happiness that is explained only by the presence of God. Well, it makes me think of that scripture. There's no greater joy that I have than seeing my children walking in the truth. And that's a, yeah. a paraphrase, <laughs> Denise <Yeah>. version. <laughs> but, but, you know, I do think it is uh, one of those things as we watch our children. Uh, I know moms don't want to see their children suffer. Right. And so that can become an idol of, oh, no, no, no pain for them. Mm-hmm. That's not reality. And I think it sets them up for more pain. Because, you know, the pursuit of a pain-free life is really not a worthwhile pursuit. It's right. God being our refuge in whatever life brings our way. But yeah. it's hard to kind of reprogram because I think that's sort of how our society is built around. Absolutely. You know? It's what we hear from moment one. You know, yeah. <laughs> we just want you to be happy. So you mentioned uh, stages of a happy soul, specifically that God has saved us from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. Huge, huge stuff here. Mm. This truth can truly set us free, but I I think it is hard for us to grasp and live out because the enemy of our souls and our flesh, our own flesh, 
tries to fill this empty ache in our souls with shiny objects or busyness or sin, how would you suggest we live into this reality of God's salvation that sets us free from penalty, power, and sin's presence? Yeah, well, it starts really with theology and some three big theological words, uh, justification, sanctification, glorification. And I think that when we can get our minds wrapped around those words and what they mean and understanding that our salvation is a process. Now, I'm not saying you become more or less saved. (laughs) You are once saved, always saved. But when that, I believe that, 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 that we are once saved, always saved. But the Bible teaches about our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. So our justification is in the moment that we come to Christ. We are given right standing with God, and just we become a, go from orphaned to being adopted. We are lost and, and, and in darkness, and then we are now found and in light. That's why we, we, are, we, ta- we use that language all the time as, as new believers. And so... That is huge. Justification is huge. But we often miss the teaching in the Bible that says that we are saved, but we are still being saved. So we are saved from the penalty of sin already, but we are not yet completely uh, saved from the power of sin in our lives. And the presence of I mean, it doesn't take long to go through our day to realize we still have sin in our lives. So God is still doing this work in us that he initiated at our moment of salvation with justification. Now we are in the age of sanctification on this earth. That is the process where we as believers become more and more and more like Christ. And then ultimately, when we stand uh, stand in front of Jesus face to face, either when he comes home or we pass on this earth, we will, we will be we will be glorified. We will be a hundred percent complete. We will be wholly happy. We will be completely holy. We will be like Jesus in, especially in the sin realm, right? (laughs) We'll be without sin. And so it's so critical that we get these three things down because I think it explains our reality so much because we tend to compare and go, wow, Denise just seems to really have it all together. (laughs) And she does this and this and this, and I'm just never going to be that way. Mm -hmm. But the difference between maybe if I'm in that place and I'm looking at you and I feel like you've got it more together than I do right now, the difference in that typically is (laughs) that the person that who seems to have it all together. Well, one, they may not, they may be putting up a farce. They, <laughs> but, they don't have it all together. <laughs> <laughs> but if they are making better choices than you and they seem closer to God than you do, it's probably because they are in the word and they are being, they, they are engaging. They're in the game. They're in the game of the sanctification because sanctification is a partnership with God. Ultimately it is his work hundred percent from start to finish. He starts it. He finishes it. He is doing that. Philippians 1, 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God is sanctifying us, but you and I are a catalyst for that equation. So I took a lot of chemistry in college (laughs) and um, there's equations, A plus B equals C. And you put, you put reagent A and reagent B in a beaker. It is going to, to make the C, the thing that we're looking for. 
but there, we, we've heard of catalyst before, right? Then there's this other thing that you can put in and you put the catalyst in and that reaction that was going slowly, but surely you put that catalyst in and it's, it's done. It's done like that. Or maybe instead of it taking an hour, it takes a half hour. You and I are catalysts in the equation. We don't bring anything to it. It is wholly responsible and, and, the responsibility ultimately is, is God. The power of it is God. But we also can enter into that equation and either hinder or help the work of God in our lives today. Amen. Well, you know, I took some chemistry in college as well. And mm-hmm. I can tell you that I set the Bunsen burner on fire, the whole thing. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, and and anytime anyone thinks that someone has it all together, really, mm-hmm. God chooses the weak things so that He can be glorified. Yeah. So anything good in us is only Christ. And so, if anything anyone sees anything redeemable or good in me at all, and and or in you, I know you'd be the first one also to say it mm-hmm. is only Christ. Um, and yeah. so that can be such a trap too, though, can't it? The comparison trap sometimes. Oh gosh. Yeah. People yeah. will be yeah, like, I think we, look into man. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, we, we tend to think there's like these classes and like some people were just born better Christian than others. And we certainly all have different experiences and some grew up with Christian parents that taught them how to study the Bible and, and gave them, you know, the time in their day where they would spend time with God. And so that habit, then they go into adulthood and they're already in some ways, yes, a leg up on the rest of us, (laughs) but it's not because that person was just born that way. They still had to make that choice to, to obey. It's there, there, there are, you know, we all look at Billy Graham and we might think I could never be like that. No, you may never be a public speaker. You may not have the, the numbers of influence that he had, but you can be like Billy Graham in your relationship with God. You can open your Bible every day and read it. You can in, like stir up this affection for God, like Billy Graham, right? Amen. But, but we, we think there's this, this other stratosphere that we can just never reach, but really all it is, is it's obedience over time. It's continuing to choose what is right and to keep our mind on who God is. Mm. And ultimately knowing who we are in Christ. You know, I love that you have the verse uh, in your book, you know, I am crucified with Christ. Mm. You know, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, I remember hearing that verse early on in my walk with God, but not really understanding it. How do you reckon yourself, <laughs> you know, dead to sin? What does that mean? And, and of course, reading in Romans uh, 6 through 8, those chapters where you see Paul grappling with this new identity as well. And we have the mm-hmm. reality of this sanctification process is very difficult because we have this old man that keeps, you know, popping his head up, <laughs> creating difficulty. Mm-hmm. But we do have this real identity in Christ, and uh, it is hard to live out, but not impossible. We have a new name. Our old man is gone. That's reality, spiritual reality. Mm -hmm. But old habits and worldviews take time to dissolve, and this is why we need to be in His Word daily. I need it. It's not because I want to be a good Christian girl. I've got to be in His Word. Our new identity is a reality right now. 
Christ overcame the power of sin. So you mentioned some secrets. Everyone likes secrets. Everyone Mm -hmm. listen in. We're going to share some secrets (laughs) (laughs) that can help us to keep this new identity as a joy-filled child of God. I love, too, that you mentioned not to make these secrets a checklist. Oh, that was such my struggle when I first came to Christ, the Mm to-do list. That's our nature. So I'm going to have Katie share these secrets, but we're going to expand on these secrets next time. But I'd like her to share what those secrets are with us right now. Yeah. Well, the secrets are not a checklist. Really, they're characteristics, and they come straight from Psalm 1 and 2. So this portrait of the tree that you you uh, introduced us to at the beginning of this episode and continuing again on into to Psalm 2, this is a portrait. It's meant to be, it's meant to point us to, this is the ideal. This is what God has for you. This is the one who is saved by God and is following his way and is clinging to who he is. Like, so all these secrets are, they are not actions necessarily. They are characteristics. It is who the person is is in Christ. But again, we get to work those out. And so the the happy soul is focused on God. The blessed is the man is that that blessed word can be translated happy. So this happy man, this happy soul is focused on God. They are resolved to follow God's way. They're attached to God's word. They're dependent on God's provision. You see that the the roots going down deep into the streams of water, right? They are confident in who she in, in who she is. So the happy soul is confident in who she is. She knows why she exists. It's to glorify God. And then the happy soul is surrendered to her king. Mm, I cannot wait to unpack those next week. Thank you for being here with us today, Katie. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I'm looking forward to keep chatting. Yes, me too. Well, y'all, we've just barely scratched the surface and we will dive deeper into Katie's book next week. You can find out more about Katie on her website, www.katieor.me. And I'll leave that link also in the show notes. Leave a comment to be entered to receive a free copy of Katie's book. You've been listening to the Seeing Deep podcast where we dive into the word of God for the answers to life's problems. <laughs>